of the Roman gods. Look at the history of the Greek uh, mythology. They were untouchable. But our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he had this plan from the beginning that he would be among his creation. Don't believe me? In the Old Testament, he did it. He was among his creation. He did that through the prophets. He did that through people like Moses. He did that uh, through people like Jonah. He spoke to men, and men spoke to the community and, and shared what God would have them do. As, as Dave said, King David had God's ear. Okay? It was through the prophet Nathan. Uh, so uh, Moses, uh, through Moses, and then also um, God was amongst his people because during the time of the wilderness, when they, were, they, were, they had fled from Egypt, and they were in the wilderness for 40 years, um, in the tabernacle, God had a place where he would dwell. And then again in the temple that Solomon built, in the Holy of Holies. It, sorry, he's not used to doing that. Um, in, in leading Israel through the desert, he was among his people. The Bible says he was, he was a, a, a pillar of a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. Oh, could you imagine that? You ever go camping? Anybody go camping? You, <laughs> right or miss a little on the front row. Uh-uh. <laughs> Listen, even, even when you, you go camping, and the first time you've ever been camping or just out in the woods, it starts to get a little bit dark, and, and you start to hear things, right? And, and I don't care how tough you are, that first time you hear, you hear something like, ooh, what was that? Oh, it's just the crickets chirping. Oh, that's okay. Ooh, it's the frogs. Ooh, it's an owl. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo, or whatever. And then you hear a twig snap. Ooh, thought I was the only one out here. You don't know. Think about how comforting that would have been. You're, you're in the desert. The Israelites don't know where they've been or where they're at. Moses does, all right? But at night, you're going to bed, and you, you maybe look out in the tent, and there's this, this pillar of fire. And you know that's God among you. Talk about rest. You wake up in the morning and that, that what was a pillar of fire is now this, this cloud that's just, just maybe swirling. I don't know what it looks like, but you just imagine, like, I don't know why they would complain. <laughs> anyway, God was among his people. You see, in the New Testament, he did it through Jesus. Through, through the birth of a baby who grew up, who spent time, not, not just a little bit of time, but Roughly 30, 30 or so years he spent growing up, watching his creation interact with each other. The point is this. Our God wants to be around us. That's the whole point behind the incarnation. He, he, he doesn't want to be separated from us. He wants to be around us. And, and in my, my simple definition of the incarnation, God, who is love, came to earth to intentionally invest in his creation. He invested in his creation physically, he invested in his creation mentally, and he invested in his creation spiritually. And for those of us who have accepted his love and his forgiveness, we will never be the same. Acts chapter 4 says this. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, who are eyewitnesses of the incarnation uh, that, that we're talking about today, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, they're brought before this council to answer for healing a lame man on the way into the temple. All right, so, so Peter and John are going into church. This lame man is sitting out front, and he's asking for money. And Peter and John say to him, we don't have silver or gold. And at this point, most people would be like, oh, well, thanks for nothing. Scripture says this guy looked on them. They said, we don't have silver silver or gold, but what we do have, we will give you. And now at this point, 
they've got his undivided attention because he's thinking, well, what could be better than silver and gold? They're going to they're gonna give me a house maybe, or they're going to they're gonna take me in and just take care of me. And I don't know what this guy was thinking, but when someone says to you, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I'm going to give you, you, you now, they have your undivided attention. And so this man is looking upon them, and then they say this, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then they grabbed his hand and pulled him up, and the Bible says the man's feet and ankles were made strong immediately. And I'm thinking, yeah. And Scripture says that they went into church, and the man was leaping and jumping. It's like, oh, that's so cool. When was the last time you came leaping and jumping into church? Glad to come be and amongst the Lord and around his people. Huh? When was the last? I see you looking at each other. Some of you are still in your pajamas. You know who I'm talking to. You're on the live stream. I know. We can't see you, but we know. Um, he came. He was excited to worship and to celebrate. Here's the thing. You would think the community would be excited about that. The, the Bible says that people brought this man all the time to the temple. The community was angry. <laughs> they were arrested. <laughs> hey, we just healed this guy, and they're like, hey, you're under arrest. What do we do? Look at what Peter says to them, though, in Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 9. He says that they're brought before the ruling council, if you will, and they're being condemned for healing a man. All right? And he says, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? And then he puts it on him. He says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Now he's getting personal. This is one of those moments where they went from preaching to meddling. OK, they got right in their business of these ruling, these these uh, religious rulers. And he says, let it be known to all of you, the people of Israel as well, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him. This man is standing before you well. And he goes on, he says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. That's a big uh-oh moment right there. And he says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, when, when love comes down, and when you come into a relationship with our God, you will never be the same. May we be like Peter and John and the other disciples who were so radically changed by the incarnation of God that they were willing to face accusations, jail, beatings, even death. Quick thought. No one would, un would endure these things for just a good idea. Okay? No one would endure these things for, for just a, a momentary glimpse of what could be really cool. What would you endure prison for? You know? What, what would you endure a beating for? Well, it would have to be the truth, wouldn't it? You, you wouldn't do it for a lie. You wouldn't lie and then go to jail for a lie. You wouldn't lie... And, and face capital punishment for a lie. But you would do it for the truth. You would stand for the truth. And that's what these men did. Uh, speaking of truth, let's look at 2 Peter 1.16. 2 Peter 1.16 says, 
For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, they're, they're drawing a hard line. We were eyewitnesses. Love came down, and we saw God in the flesh, and we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw the things he did. We heard the things he said. Let me continue on. Listen to this. This is, this is the incarnation of Christ. Verse 17 says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. By the way, this is talking about the moment when Jesus was baptized. All right. Verse 18 says, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. See, it wasn't just Jesus who heard the voice of God that said, this is my son whom, is well pleased, whom I am well pleased. It was the apostles. It was the people that were there. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. He's saying, listen to what the word of God has to say. You will do well to pay attention to the word of God. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, at the end of the day, these verses all point to three things that Mark Moore shared with us in the essay. That because of Jesus, Jesus who was with God in the beginning, Jesus who was born of a virgin, Jesus who lived a sinful life, Jesus who, I mean, his sinful life is worthy of our attention for sure. And then he died a horrible death on the cross and rose three days later. That is worthy of our adoration. And he's now in heaven preparing a place for us, which is worthy of our worship. You see, because of the incarnation, our God came near. He isn't disengaged from us. He isn't distant. He is near. All the time, God is near. No matter what you're going through, God is near. God is love. He, he, not only does God love us, God loves his enemies as well. That's, that's incarnation. God loves his enemies, and so should we. One other thing. God suffered. And when we think about God, we never think about God suffering. But I believe that God suffered when Jesus was on the cross. You see, the incarnation says they're connected. But on the cross, we learn that God turned his back on his son while his son took on the sin of the world. I'd say they both were suffering. So what does that look like for us today? Why does the incarnation even matter 2,000 some odd years later? Why does it matter? So what? I want to read this from, from the essay. It's, um, it's what Mark Moore uh, says about why the incarnation matters. And I thought, you know, it's pretty good stuff. So give me a second to find my spot here. Why does this matter? Because God is near. He has made himself available. If we could live like that, we would improve every relationship we have. If we can make ourselves available, it will improve every relationship we have. Husbands and wives often keep secrets and even distance to protect their hearts. Parents are often present but not available because of the barriers of technology, fatigue, or their own secret sin. Friendships 
are fractured because of our pride or laziness. Now, becoming more available and near doesn't mean gushing emotions on strangers at the grocery store or traveling, uh, or excuse me, or revealing our secret insecurities on a first date. However, it does mean that we're to be present where we are, which is easier said than done. But few things would improve productivity at work or relationships at home more than this. I want to challenge you, be present. When a husband comes home, spending five minutes in conversation with his wife or his family can alter the evening. Five minutes of prayer in the morning with your family can change the trajectory of the day. Being honest with a roommate, confessing sins to a friend, or simply listening deliberately to a child has a huge impact on how strong and satisfying our relationships are. God came near in Jesus to model how we can make ourselves available to others. This simple action would radically alter our relationships with the people we care about the most. So be present, be near, because God came near. Second, God loved sacrificially. Now, we all, especially as Christians, we say, well, I love. Love is easy, but do you love sacrificially? You see, God loved sacrificially, not just his friends. He didn't just love his, his friends. He loved those who were opposed to him. Jesus put it this way when he unpacked his life's purpose. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, that's not merely what he did for us. It's a model that he expects us to follow. In practical terms, that means listening more than talking, tithing rather than hoarding, volunteering rather than self-indulging, um, uh, bragging about others rather than self-promoting. Oddly, in the end, sacrifice turns into gain. Finally, God suffered. In our culture today, we don't like to suffer. <laughs> we avoid suffering at all costs. We like comfort. That's why Lillian never goes camping. She likes comfort. She'll tell you, roughing it is, is a holiday in when the air conditioner breaks. See, we don't like to suffer. We avoid suffering at all costs, and it's understandable, but pain is not fun. However, our greatest growth comes from our suffering, not from our success. It's, it's the pain, it's loss and inconvenience that we endure that build the character we crave. We want shortcuts in our life, and we want comfort at the risk of losing our souls. The person we want to become is worth the sacrifice it takes to get there. In a real sense... We, we were to trade success for significance and pleasure for purpose. God himself modeled the way. Not to achieve, but to become. One, suffering for others in the name of Jesus offers more than creature comforts and personal satisfaction can. It offers life. You see, Mark Moore says, incarnational living turns out to be the most successful, satisfying, and purposeful path in life. And so when you see John 1.14 it's a powerful theological window. We see God most clearly in Jesus, but that's more than a window. It's a door through which we can pass to enter the kind of life that God designed for our greatest good and the salvation of the world. Imagine a world where God's people imitated his best attributes by following the incarnational life of Jesus. Imagine our community imagine the apartment complex that's being built right here and what it would look like when God's people imitate his best attributes by following the incarnational life of Jesus. And so there you have it. 
the incarnation of Christ. Simply put, God came near. He lived among us. He lived among his creation. He loved those he created, and he still loves today. He suffered. He suffered for us so that we would have an opportunity to be with him in heaven for eternity because he longs to have a relationship with us. You see, the incarnation, Jesus is God in human form, also means that only those who know Jesus will know God. The only way you can know them is by being committed to growing God's word. If you want to know the God of the universe, spend time with his son in his word. I don't know what that looks like for you, but today as we come to our response time, I simply want to challenge you to take the mission of Huntsville Christian Church seriously to, uh, to an incarnational level, if you will. Consider what it really looks like for you to personally go to win and commit to grow. Maybe for you to do that, the first step is, is baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hey, the baptistry is ready. We can, we can change clothes. We can make that happen. Maybe you're not sure what it looks like to do this, to live incarnationally, as Mark Moore put it. And maybe you have questions or you need prayer for something. The elders are here. They would love to pray with you, to start a conversation with you about your relationship with Christ and what that looks like to live it out, to go to win and commit to grow. Will you consider these things and respond to God's word accordingly as we stand and sing our response song this morning? Your word, peace on earth, peace on earth. 
So, this is Dylan. Um, he's, he's our son, as you, most of you know. Not mine. Uh, not no. our son. No. Mitzi and I, oh. our son. It's uh, awesome. Anyway, he's leaving us tomorrow. So, yeah. We are empty nesters as of tomorrow morning. I mean, I'm not excited about that. I'm sad. I've I'm seen just, you cry. Stop. <laughs> There was, was a moment. Uh, anyway, he's headed down to UAB, and uh, so he just wanted to ask that you all would be praying for him, praying for his mother especially, and uh, she looks tough on the outside. You know how moms are. Uh, and so anyway, Mark's just going to pray over Dylan, for Dylan, for school, for teachers, for all that stuff. So I'm going to step over here. Yeah, just, let's let's get close that. to the mic. So this is a big thing. Um, you know, for all those of us parents who have watched our kids go off, it's, you know, uh, something new um, that John and Mitzi are going to experience, but um, there's lots of happiness, but there's also lots of consternation. So, but uh, join us as a family as we pray for Dylan and John and Mitzi. So, Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now, just uh, uh, blessed that we were able to come here together as a family to um, to uh, learn about you, to share in your Word, uh, to just um, love on each other. And right now, Father, we just want to love on Dylan. And John and Mitzi, as, uh, as Dylan goes off to a, a new chapter of life into college, and that uh, for John and Mitzi, for um, the time that uh, the, the proud, uh, you know, feelings they have for Dylan to um, go forth, but also for the time of uh, a way that uh, he'll be. Um, we ask for your blessings upon Dylan as he uh, pursues uh, um, knowledge and education. Uh, and we'll also participate in the band down there. And we pray for John and Mitzi as um, they'll face a different chapter in their life of uh, a little bit of uh, quietness at home now. Uh, but uh, be, with, be at peace. Uh, ask that they be at peace with this. And that, uh, Father, you just put your comforting hand on them. And as a family, Lord, that uh, help us to be courageous to reach out and to uh, grant them encouragement. Uh, Dylan at school and John and Mitzi at home uh, through this time. We just thank you, Lord. We just uh, love you uh, and just so much. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Oh, the bottom? I, I, I can. Yeah. <laughs> you got any, got any ad-lib stuff? No, go ahead. Say? You're on it. Yeah, just, just on the page? Right yeah, just gotcha. It. So it's been great to worship with you guys this morning, uh, both on the live stream and here in person. But now it's time for us to go to win and to commit to grow. As you go this week, consider this. C.S. Lewis said that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or our Lord. History and scripture show us that Jesus is not a liar, definitely not a lunatic, which only leaves the final option. Oh, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is indeed Lord. With that thought, consider how you will go to win and commit to grow in your relationship with him, so that the whole world may know the amazing, redeeming love of our Lord. Will you sing this last song with us? 